Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode 12 of season three of This Osteopathic Life. Today, we're talking about facts and feelings and two most interesting realms for me. And I'm curious to learn how they settle for you. What resonates when you hear those words, facts and feelings? Is there an and between them? Or are they really far apart, separated from one another on the spectrum of human experience? So let's start. They're in alphabetical order, but they're also in order of priority and value, as I'm coming to learn in my own life, my own lived experience. So facts. Facts can be non-negotiable, indisputable. They can bring structure to a situation. And if we think about the osteopathic tenets, structure is what brings us function. Facts can be a tool to lead us toward understanding, to gain skills, to be able to show up and contribute in a certain way. Facts can make it so there are clear reasons for what we're doing, steps we might take, ways that we might expect ourselves or someone else to behave and to act in a certain situation, right? Think about that. Facts has acts, A-C-T-S, in there. And what I've come to learn And this really shouldn't be a surprise necessarily, but if you've ever done any kind of personality assessments, right, it's not uncommon that sometimes when you're presented with this categorization and it reads like it could be your biography on the page, it feels a little awkward, feels a little uncomfortable. Sometimes it can feel encouraging, right? Like you've been seen and then called out, but also that you've been seen and included, right? So this way that I am, did make it to the page. And if you're operating in the space of uniqueness being your value, right? Seeing something boil down to six, seven, eight, nine, 12 ways and knowing that you really do fit into one of those categories, it can be, again, alarming, disappointing if you're banking on that unique one and only you being your key core value. Or it can be encouraging if you felt very isolated And you wondered if there was anyone who experienced life the way that you did. It can actually help you to feel welcomed into a space. What I want to offer is any of these tools, the Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, I'm working with positive intelligence. That's the kind of, it's not even a categorization. It's just certain ways that you are, certain components of your personality. None of them are disqualifying you from being the one and only you. But they're giving you a tool to understand core ways that you engage and also how others experience the world in interactions and relationships so that 
you can have a greater understanding and a realization of ways to communicate, ways to grant yourself grace and understanding, and also to give that to others. And so in this most recent experience with positive intelligence, and I'll put a link to the book in the show notes. You know, I'm approaching this from a coach enrichment perspective. It's a training program of sorts, but of course, like any training program, when you're preparing to teach someone, to coach someone, to support someone, you do the work yourself, right? So you incorporate these ways of thinking, of being, of acting, so that, right, you can offer it in a way that is threaded through experience, knowing, understanding, but also, right, benefiting from the work helps you show up as a person who's going to be much more valuable to whomever it is that you coach or teach, having gone through it yourself. And so what came up for me was that I'm relatively fact-based or hyper-rational, if you will. And if you happen to be hyper-rational, you might think like me, well, what's wrong with rational? (laughs) Rational is great. Like, should we all be a little more rational? Couldn't the world use a little more rationality? And the answer is yes and, which is a powerful answer in most situations. And so notice, it doesn't just say rational. It says hyper-rational. And it is that prefix that makes all the difference. Because yes, of course, rational is great. And we could absolutely use more rational in a lot of situations. But like anything, right, there can be too much, right? There can be too much water intake, right? That can be problematic. So there can be too much of a good, of a helpful, of a sustaining thing. And yes, I'm going to put rational in the sustaining category right alongside water, right? They're in that cup together. And as I was experiencing the description of it, one part that was hysterical to me was in the chapter, each of the nine kind of ways of being were given about two minutes, except for hyperrational, which was given four. (laughs) And to me, what that said was it had so much explaining to do, it needed more time, or that it was so problematic, we couldn't just get the gist of it in order to overcome it in two minutes. It needed double the time. And it was so totally appropriate. But what struck me in the explanation of it was that hyperrational, particularly in relationships, can be very undermining. It can actually detract from the capacity for connection, from the realization of other people's feelings, right? And you see the foreshadowing for the second part of this podcast. And it can make it so you're not as effective in communication as a leader, as a partner, as a parent. And that certainly piqued my interest, my intrigue, and the capacity to investigate in order to gain greater insight and find out, this is rational coming into mind, how it could be done differently, more effectively. And what it requires is tuning into acknowledging feelings, those of yourself and those of others. Now, let me share with you a couple hiccups here, a couple trip up steps that happened for me that I recognize. In osteopathic medicine, 
identifying obstructions is important, right? And removing them is the work. And so it's not a problem that there are these missteps, right? These tripwires in place, but pretending that there aren't any can be problematic because you will just fall when you hit them. And ignoring them, right, doesn't make it any faster, doesn't make them go away. They will catch you out, right? And so identifying them and finding the way through, around, you know, removing them, whatever that might be, is key and core to returning to expressing more effectively the health. And so one was this concept that you are not responsible for anyone else's thoughts, feelings, or actions. And I work with that a lot in coaching, but this very much predates my experience with coaching. It goes all the way back for me to my childhood. I can remember this being spoken to me by my dad in many different iterations. We can think about the Eleanor Roosevelt quote, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. And that was a mantra that was echoed throughout our house growing up. And then just in general, if you were feeling some way and you attempted to attribute it to someone else, you were quickly told that wasn't the case, all right? I'm mad because he or he made me feel this way or she did this and I'm angry, right? She's making me angry. Let's just even look at that. That wasn't on the table, right? Only you get to decide if you're angry. And so I have held fiercely, strongly (laughs) to this concept my whole life. And in many ways, it's helpful, right? It puts that responsibility with the person. It also gives them the power because it's giving them the control of their responses. But I recognize, right? It leaves some pieces out. And there is some nuance in there which can be tricky, right? If you're hyper-rational, because we're not really looking for nuance. (laughs) We're looking for specifics and clarity. And this is really interesting to me because I allow, excuse me, I allow for a lot of gray area, right? And I do appreciate nuance. That said, I really stick with and honor logistics, specifics, give me some bullet points, right? And explaining why something is the way it is and what makes sense. That really is how I relate to situations and often, and we'll see sometimes erroneously how I relate to people. And so in this space of not taking any responsibility for anyone else's thoughts, feelings, actions, again, there can be a lot of greatness in there because it empowers other people to own that and encourages them to do that. It also means I take responsibility for mine right? And so when I'm grumpy or when I'm in some certain way, I know it's on me. I'm not saying I'm perfect with this. Absolutely not, right? And certainly we can look at a situation. Oh, no one was ready. Oh, no one did this, you know, and I'm annoyed as a result. I'm frustrated. This is disappointing. But recognizing I'm choosing that reaction, right? And so seeing that, releasing the responsibility for anyone else, taking the responsibility for myself is a very powerful space to be in, Unless it totally cuts off the capacity to even acknowledge that someone actually could be feeling the way they're feeling. And I see in there is a space for opportunity. So while I cannot change what anyone else thinks, feels, or acts, I can take a little more time to recognize that even though my bullet points of ways people should be feeling 
right, because X, Y, Z happened, might not be the case, right? They might be feeling some certain way for whatever reason, logical or not. And to just see that, not to try to change it, not to try to justify it away, explain it away either, to just say, oh, wow, you're really upset. You're really frustrated. Or, wow, you're really happy. Like, I would not be happy today, right? X, Y, Z happened. That doesn't seem like it logically leads to happy. But you seem pretty happy today. Tell me more about that. And the invitation in there is to curiosity. Curiosity, not judgment. Thank you, Walt Whitman. Thank you, Ted Lasso, for bringing that to our attention. And so what I see about facts is that they can also lend themselves to curiosity, right? Digging deeper, finding out what's at the core, getting clearer, that involves asking a lot of questions and being curious. But it can have finite points, right? Because you're seeking to get to some place and answer. And the interesting part here is in medicine, I've never really felt that need. So perhaps this experience of being in medicine was my invitation to let rational be there, but to step away from hyper-rational and begin to notice what role feelings have to play. And so fascinating because so much of medicine is about, right, evidence-based and very structural and very rational and leave the emotion and just be here and find the answer. And I don't relate to that at all, but I will relate to that very much in a conversation with my husband or with my children when I say, well, I see X, Y, Z happened, right? And here's an expected result. And we could talk all day about how expectations can interfere with connection, So here we are in this space where I have maintained the capacity to not be responsible for anyone else's thoughts, feelings, actions. I have taken the charge to be responsible for my own and upholding my own power, recognizing others have theirs in that space. And I'm stepping into a room in which there's a pause and there is a two-seater sofa and we can sit down and there can be more acknowledgement. And well, I won't take responsibility for how that person's feeling or seek to change it, there is more room to ask about it, to be curious, to simply allow it to be, to recognize that for them, this is the lived experience and that has tremendous value. And so how does that play into my own experience with feelings? Well, I think I've shared with you in the past that historically... I really identified with kind, calm, and peaceful as being the ideal feelings, the way to be. That's what I targeted. And in maintaining what seemed like a very logical, rational trifecta of feelings that would be really effective, right? Kind, calm, peaceful. Who doesn't want that? Live in that. Swim in that. It's amazing. And yet, what does it do? It narrows the aperture to eliminate all other feelings. And that might seem really great, to eliminate frustration and anger and hostility. But what does it also do? It eliminates joy, right? And satisfaction and contentment. And actually, we don't do well not ever having frustration or anger or disappointment, right? It mutes us, it numbs us. And then we don't tune into ourselves or to others very effectively. And so one of the biggest shifts in coaching is being asked, right, being tasked to feel my feelings, to literally name them, 
describe them, notice them in my body, let them be, recognize what happens when I'm feeling that way. And to do that over and over and over again, to continue building that repertoire, that vocabulary, that experience of feelings. And man, it's uncomfortable, right? We've talked about uncomfortable a couple times in this podcast already. To feel them in your body, not only the experience of feeling them directly, right? What is anger like? What's frustration like? What's joy like? Joy was uncomfortable because it was so unfamiliar, right? So we are trained to default to the familiar. And so I would like, let me go back and find calm because joy didn't feel very calm to me. It felt kind of all over the place and a little overwhelming even. Like I didn't know what to do with it. So then do I trust myself? Like what's going to happen if joy hangs out too long? Or that sense of, right, who is allowed to have this much joy? And I better share it. I better stop it. Or if I'm having this much joy and I know life is 50-50, what is the other side of this going to look like? All very much not super helpful thoughts. And so in the process of welcoming all those feelings, I began to see them in other ways in the people around me. Like, oh, they're experiencing joy. Okay. Well, they're angry, right? Or they're experiencing angryness. They're having anger. (laughs) Not they are angry, right? Because then it becomes part of their persona versus something that they're experiencing. And then starting to wonder why, right? But wondering why without needing an answer or without having to get somewhere so that you could leave it, right? So it might be, oh, they're angry because of this. Well, let's go in and fix it, solve it, rationalize it. And again, even as I say this right now, it's so fascinating to me because in a profession, literally you're meant to diagnose and treat things, right? Fix them. I had all this hesitancy because I thought that's not my work to do. And what if there's no problem here? Or what if this way that they're being is the way that they are? And let's be with it and see what happens. And sometimes that would invite the change more expeditiously. But here's the thing I'm realizing. In that space, I was removing myself again, but for a different reason. So removing myself in those personal interactions so that I didn't have to take up the responsibility for someone else's thoughts, feelings, and actions seemed appropriate. It seemed like holding good boundaries, but it was creating this distance. And then removing myself from the situation with patients where they might make an improvement, right? They might experience reduction in pain, improvement in motion, overall sense of wellness. I would say, no, not me. That's all you. That's not really helpful either because it was in relationship. There was this you know, concert. There was this engagement that happened to bring whatever that equation was to resolution. And I can't get away right from the rational and logical thinking. But taking myself out there wasn't super helpful either. And so what if you can stay in it? And what if you can have your facts and feelings too? And what is that way of being? If you follow me through Live Inconceivable, and that could be on my own personal Facebook page, if you're on the email list and you're welcome to join, it's a daily email. I use an equation each day. And they always end in inconceivable something, but that something always rotates. And there are usually three factors in the equation. There's usually one, and there's usually a plus sign. There's usually a second one. Then there's usually a multiplication sign, a third one, the equal sign, and then we have the result. 
which can be inconceivable experience, inconceivable joy, inconceivable progress. They're generally what we would qualify as positive, positive experiences. I did have one recently. There were just two components and there's actually a minus, right? It was a subtraction equation. And we can talk about inconceivable distance or frustration. And that's possible too. And the opportunity in there is to see how the relationship of these various, sometimes seemingly disparate parts can come together to this experience you never thought possible, inconceivable, something beyond your imagination of how it could be. And so in that space, there's the opportunity to bring the facts part of yourself and bring the feelings part of yourself. And I think that multiplying factor would have to be curiosity, right? And what would be the result? Inconceivable connection. And why is that so important? Well, connection is the antidote to loneliness. And loneliness is the greatest single threat to our health, right? It has more risk factors than smoking, than obesity, right? It has such deleterious impact on our health that creating connection is truly the number one priority. And so if I reflect on those ways of being, being very fact-oriented in personal relationships, it can mute, it can narrow, it can thin the connection. And that certainly isn't what we're looking for. And it wasn't intentional. I'm saying wasn't because I do see that this feels like the turning of a page, a new chapter. And like anything, it's not going to be immediate and perfect. Perfect doesn't exist, right? But it will be now current and continuous with a whole lot of practice. But that awareness of it, there's no other choice now to know that being hyper-rational truncates, mutes, lessens the chance of staying fully connected with myself and with others. Why? Why would I continue down that path with that awareness? And there's no judgment of the past way of being. It simply was how it was. And a lot of successful things happen. And I have lovely, deep relationships in a lot of ways. And, yes, and, I have the opportunity to take this new information, knowledge, awareness, and enrich them, strengthen them, weave those threads together. And so why wouldn't I do that with the awareness that I'm not going to get it right each and every time, that there's really no way to actually get it right, but there are opportunities to get it better and to learn, to grow, to expand. And then what about around feelings? Seeing that there are all kinds of feelings, for one, that's its own awakening. Seeing that there are feelings, right, responses in different ways for different people. And that my work is not to explain them or change them, but simply to see them, to notice them, to recognize them, to honor them even. And that's not necessarily condoning or absolving those, but simply seeing that they're there. And letting that 
be its own experience. And even that is such a significant shift, right? And it can only be a second, a breath, a question, a pause. It doesn't have to be this in-depth, laborious experience. And so that's what I commit to here is to take facts and add feelings and multiply by curiosity and invite inconceivable connection and to see what comes from that space of connection. Remembering that the first connection is back into myself and seeing what that opens up and seeing how feeling the feelings myself makes it much easier and much more likely that I will recognize them in another and offer that inquiry on how are you feeling and why? And do you want to keep feeling that way? What would help you here? Not trying to shift it away, but using it as an inroads, as what I picture as a magnet or again, a braiding together of these different ways of being. And now you might be listening to this and think, what? Like you never had any feelings? That sounds like a big problem. And there are some spaces that can be really helpful right, to be more based in rationality. But like anything, it can lead you astray in other spaces. And I also see that making a major shift like this Right? And I'm not saying I'm going to abandon all facts and never be rational, but seek to be less hyper-rational, right? to be more in a mid-zone of rationality. And coming in full force on feelings, there was one day this past summer when I experienced joy in a new way. I had been doing more work, right, intentional work, training those muscles. And so then the feelings came through in a new way. And it was a little alarming and overwhelming to my family because they know me in one certain way. And so seeing this new side, this breadth of welcoming feelings could be a bit much. And it doesn't mean you have to temper yourself or if you have experienced a big dramatic shift to pretend it away, but just to notice, here's that opportunity to notice other people's response to it and for it to be okay for them to have whatever feelings they're having. And it doesn't have to mean anything about you. And at the same time, you don't have to find the logistics and the reasons behind it. You don't have to ask them to provide those to you in order to justify the feelings that they are having. And so if you're curious about the ways in which you behave and resonate and reason, there is a quiz that you can take, and I'll put that in the show notes as well. And if any of this resonated with you as a hyper-rational person, I see you. I hear you. We could put all the bullet points together as to why rationality is the way to go. And also I invite you to give feelings a chance and to see how pairing them might level up your superpowers because you do have the capacity to see the big picture, to see how it is and how it can be, but to bring into that the willingness to also see how the experience is and how it does come through uniquely for each person, you can have so much value to add through that. And so let's offer to one another an invitation to welcome facts, 
to search for facts, to honor and utilize facts appropriately, rationally, and then to also have space for feelings, to recognize them, to name them, to let them be, to recognize them in others and honor them in that space, to reflect them back, and to let curiosity lead us into a fuller experience of both of those. And as a product, we can all experience together increased connection, inconceivable even, beyond anything we imagined possible. And that truly can serve as a solution that supports, honors, and is for the health of all things. This is Dr. Amelia Beeky with This Osteopathic Life. Thank you for listening. I'd like to take a moment and honor you all who have been with me over these three seasons and invite you to subscribe to the Live Inconceivable email list. It is a daily email into your inbox with words of inspiration, the inconceivable equation, and directions on how to cultivate one specific to your daily life experience. It's an amazing time. It helps you make life mean what you think it means. And I invite you to join me on that journey. The link is in the show notes.